Good morning, church. <clears throat> echo what Daniel said there, and just thank you for uh, the, the appreciation and the love and the support that you, uh, you show me and that you show us here that work to, to lead and to serve this church. Uh, thank you. And thanks in advance for all the very generous acts of the month that you're going to do. Um, but my pants are already a little tight, I noticed this morning. So um, if, if you're going to bring stuff, just make it low fat, okay, to the office. <clears throat> but um, we just really love you, and we appreciate you. You know, you are a good church. Not a perfect church, but you are a good church. And I thank God, um, some of you saw on Facebook, I, yesterday marked 15 years of pastoral ministry for me. In some ways, it just feels like it's been forever, but uh, just counted a privilege, as we all do as staff, to serve you. You are a good church. We appreciate you. Um, and you know, church has been hard over the last few years, hasn't it? Uh, it's, been, it's been a couple tough years for us too in ministry, right? Like these years of COVID have been turbulent times, times of great change. And, uh, you know, we've come through a couple of years of that and, and a lot of us are asking the question, why church and what church? And so in this series that we're in the middle of this morning, we're, we're essentially trying to answer that question. Why church? Because these last couple of years look different, right? And... Old habits were broken and new habits were formed. Some of our spiritual practices changed and were thwarted. Why church and what church? And so over these weeks together, uh, we're trying to answer that question. What does God call us to be and do as a local church? Why church? I have a couple of passions beyond Jesus and, and the church and my family. Really two kind of key passions. You probably already know what they are. But, but the first one is I love travel, which is one of the reasons COVID was so hard. I love to travel. I love culture. I love geography. Come visit me in my office, please. If you haven't been back there, if you're newer to the church, come visit my office. You'll see maps all over the wall. I got my flag collection up there. As a kid, I collected flags because I love geography. I'm always taking a trip in my head. And I've been to some pretty cool places. When I was 15, I went to Mongolia and China for a month, which was awesome. What, what, a, what a unique place. Um, ate uh, fermented um, or drank fermented horse milk and ate dried yak yogurt. And it tasted exactly like it sounds, right? So if you've ever gone to one of these Mongolian grills, oh, it was so good. That's not Mongolian food, OK? Uh, what what, a, what a, an amazing place in Mongolia. And then, and then I spent a summer in Macedonia when I was engaged to Erica. And uh, that was a very different place. Um, then as a pastor back in my previous church, went to Rwanda with a team. That was very different than Mongolia or Macedonia. The language, the culture, the food, everything. And I uh, went to Kenya a few years ago with a team from here to Bethel. Um, and just this love traveling, love just seeing the diversity in the world. So many different cultures and languages, and foods, and way of doing things. And one of the things I love to do is I love to see what church looks like in these different places. I'm just fascinated by it. And what I've discovered as I visited churches in, in these different countries is that there's ways in which they're just really different from one another. Like, you go to Macedonia, and it's just beautiful, old building, stained glass, ornate icons, and has a very kind of a dark, hushed sort of prayers, quiet, 
worship is done a cappella, not very lively and exuberant. But then you go to Rwanda and Kenya, and you go to that church service, and um, they're just dancing, and everything is lively, and they all pray at the same time. And when they give their offering at that time in the service, they hold it high, and they dance down the aisle, and they come and they place it in the basket at the front. And so we're thinking of doing that here, just so you know. We're just, maybe, we'll just test that out, see how that goes, right? And, and in, in so many ways, it was different than the church in those other places. And yet, as I think back of, of those experiences, there was so much that was the same. So much that was the same. In everyone, the word of God was read and preached. In everyone, people prayed to God in the name of Jesus Christ. In everyone, people sang together songs of worship. In everyone, people served together. In everyone, people gave together. You know, right now, around this world, in hundreds of countries, in hundreds of different languages, in all sorts of different forms, the Church of God, right now, is doing the exact same thing. They are listening to God's word together. They are praying together. They are serving together. They are singing together. They are giving together. Why? Because that's what the church has been doing from day one. We have a record of that, day one. It's Acts chapter 2. After the, God sent his spirit on those first disciples of Jesus and the church was born, it describes that first church on that first day this way. This is Acts 2, verse 42. It says, They devoted themselves to the apostles' teaching and to fellowship and to the breaking of bread and to prayer. Everyone was filled with awe as the many, uh, at the many wonders and signs performed by the apostles. All the believers were together and had everything in common. Listen to that. All the believers were together, and they had everything in common. And you might hear them go, I knew Jesus was a communist. I had my suspicions. You know, they came and they had everything in common. What does that mean? That when they gathered, those first followers of Jesus, when they gathered, they had everything in common. Well, the next verse kind of sheds some light on that. They sold property and possessions to give to anyone who had need. What does it mean that they held everything in common when they came together? It meant that when somebody had and when another person lacked, the person that had gave to the one who lacked. And it describes this in a bit more detail in Acts chapter 4, verse 32. It says, All the disciples were one in heart and mind, and no one claimed that any of their possessions was their own. It's not that they didn't have private property. It was all like some sort of communal living house. And that's not what it was. Everybody had their own possessions. But nobody claimed that any of their possessions was their own, but they shared everything they had. With great power, the apostles continued to testify to the resurrection of the Lord Jesus, and God's grace was so powerfully at work in them all that there were no needy persons among them. For from time to time, those who owned land or houses sold them, brought the money from the sales, put it at the apostles' feet, and it was distributed to anyone who had need. And I find my heart stirred by these words, by this picture of the church. I find this beautiful and radical. 
God's grace was so powerfully at work in them all that there were no needy persons among them. That was the church. And that beauty was seen by other people at that time, first century Rome, which was cutthroat, every person for themselves. And here's this little group of people giving what they had to one another so that there was no need among them. How different, how radical, how beautiful. I don't know about you, but I, I, I find my heart stirred by that picture of the church. And really, it's a picture of service. That's what they're talking about. They served one another when they came together. What is service? Service simply um, is the intersection of what you have, what you possess, and what another person needs. Okay? When those two things intersect, what you possess and what another person needs, that's the place of service. Now, we all possess things. Right? I know as soon as you hear possessions, what does your mind normally go to? Money. Well, if I had more, I'd give more, but you know, I just I have trouble paying the mortgage. So this is talking about different people because I'm not someone of means. I don't have possessions. We normally think of possessions as money, and that's just one type of possessions. You possess way more than money. Every one of us in this room, you possess a bunch of different things. Assets, resources. Yes, financial, but also personal resources. Human resources, we maybe call them. Things that God has given you that you can then use to serve one another. What has God given you? What do you possess? You possess skills. There are things you know how to do. Maybe you possess a business. You possess a personality. Some of you, you're introverts. Some of you, you're extroverts. You possess a personality. You possess, possess natural abilities. You possess passions. You possess experiences. Things that you have gone through that have given you something. They've given you knowledge, wisdom. You possess time. We all possess a whole bunch of different things. And we are called by God as the church to serve one another with the things that we possess. We are all workers. This is what we see in the early church. We are all servants of one another. And so don't get, don't, you know, get it wrong when you see like, the staff come up here and go, there's the workers, and there's the ministers, and here's the audience. That's not how it works, right? You're too smart for that, because you know what Paul says in Ephesians chapter 4. And you know, like sometimes I hesitate to tell you what my job is, because then you're going to make me or insist that I do it. Right? But this is what Paul says in Ephesians chapter 4, verse 11. He says, So Christ himself gave the apostles, the prophets, the evangelists, the pastors and teachers. Why? To do the work of ministry? No, 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 no. To equip God's people, the church, to do the works of service. 
so that the body of Christ may be built up until we all reach unity in the faith and in the knowledge of the Son of God and become mature, attaining to the whole measure of the fullness of Christ. And then in verse 16, from Him, that is from Christ, the whole body joined and held together by every supporting ligament grows and builds itself up in love as each part does its work. In other words, you are the ministers. We are all ministers, workers, called to serve together. This is God's design for the church. And Paul, over and over again, he will use the analogy of the human body to help us understand what this actually means. And if we look at that uh, analogy of the church as the human body, we'll see there's at least three reasons why we are to serve together. And the first is this. We're to serve together because each of us is a part of one body a part of one body. So when we come together, we are all one part, not the whole. You are not the whole. You are a part. You are a brick. The Bible talks about the church as a building, and you as a brick. Now, what is a, what is a brick doing at home all by itself? A brick exists to be connected to other bricks. Without other bricks, a brick is not anything. It's not fulfilling the purpose for why it exists. A hand, one part of the body all by itself, cannot fulfill the purpose for why it exists. Every part exists to be together to make the whole. This is the church. We are all a part of one body. And what does it look like to be a part together as one body? Well, it can look a few different ways. I have a picture here of uh, a couple of... uh, is that doll figurines I pull out of my kid's uh, toy chest? And with great, you may recognize as those figurines from uh, the, mo- the movie Frozen. With great joy did I rip apart that figurine. Because that movie stole two years of my life that I can never get back. That let it go, let it go. It's just, it still makes me shiver. Right? So what does it look like for all the parts to be together? Well, there's, a, there's, there's two bodies. There's two, all the parts of the body together, right? But one is the, way the church and one isn't. What we're supposed to understand is as parts of one body, Paul, God is it's not talking about proximity to one another. We are not parts of one body by just being all together. A pile of parts. To be a part is to be, to be a part of one body is not about proximity. It's about, what when we say, connectivity. When one part is joined, it's called a joint. When one part is joined to another part, which is joined to another part. And so what makes a body? It's not just all the parts being together. It's all the parts being joined, being connected, so that together they are working as each one plays its part. So God isn't just calling us into proximity as a church. He's calling us into connectivity, that each part would play its part. So what Paul is saying is, church, we are not independent. 
To be, a, to be a part of the church, a part of the body, is to be interdependent. Each one of us belongs to all the others. We all have something to give, and we all have something to gain. None of us is the complete package. And I know sometimes my wife will say to me, oh, you're the complete package. And sometimes she'll say to other people, my husband's the complete package. But this is different. She has never said that. <laughs> I've never heard her say that. So none of us is the complete package. None of us is the whole. We are all just one part of the whole. We all have something to give, and we all have something to gain. We're each a part, one part of one body. He, Paul, Paul goes on, he says, secondly, we're, all, we're, we're each a unique part of the body. We're each a unique part. This is what he says there in Romans for, for just as each of us has one body with many members, and these members do not all have the same function, so in Christ we, though many, form one body, and each member belongs to all the others. We have different gifts according to the grace given to each of us. We're all a part, but we're all a different part. And if you look in the Bible, you have a few places where it just gives a list. Here's some gifts. Romans 12, 1 Corinthians 12, 1 Peter Four, there's other places where it lists gifts, which just literally means grace, God's grace. This is a thing of grace. This is something that God has given to you. And none of those lists are exhaustive, like, hey, there's 18 things, 18 gifts that God can give. I really think that this is kind of, there is no end to the, to, to, to the form gifts can take. A gift is just anything that you possess that you can use to serve the needs of others. And that can make so many different forms. It has to take different forms. For as Paul says in uh, 1 Corinthians chapter 12, verse 15, he, he, in talking about the body, he kind of expands on it. He says this, Now if the foot should say, Because I am a hand, or I'm not a hand, I don't belong to the body, it would not for that reason stop being a part of the body. And if the ear should say, Because I am not an eye, I do not belong to the body, it would not for that reason stop being part of the body. For if the whole body were an eye, where would the sense of hearing be? And if the whole body were an ear, where would the sense of smell be? But in fact, God has placed the parts in the body, every one of them, just as he wanted them to be. Do you believe that? God, in his wisdom and his design, has placed the parts just as he wanted them to be. He has given each one just the gifts that he wanted to give them so that these gifts be complementary. Right? When we come together, he's not just talking about the church across the world. He's talking about every local church. God has assembled the parts, different parts together to make a whole that we may all be built up and not lacking in anything. So he finishes, if they were all one part, where would the body be? We are different by God's design. We need to be different because we can spend too much time focusing on what others possess, that we wish we possessed, but we don't possess. Instead of what it is that we possess, that God has given to me. And you are unique. You're a snowflake. But literally, like nobody has the combination of gifts that you have, skills, passions, experiences. We're different by God's design. 
What do you possess? You know, some people love administration and details and organizing things. And other people, they're terrible with details. But they like to think of the big picture. And they kind of like to dream and plan bigger things. And some people like technology. Like to serve with tech. And other people like to serve with kids. And other people hate kids. And other people like to sing. They love music. They're passionate about music. And other people, they, they just like to use their hands to help, to do grunt work. What do you possess? And you know what? I know you've heard this sermon before. Forgive me. Because I know it's going to happen right now, Rusty. I've been in church decades. I've heard this sermon a few times. In fact, Rusty, I think I've heard this sermon from you. And, and don't, don't just like turn off the brain here because we need to hear this periodically because you change. You're not the same person you were two years ago or five years ago or ten years ago. You're a changing person. You're not static. And what you possess is always changing because your experiences are changing. And there's seasons of life where you, you maybe had something you didn't have before or you don't have something that you had before. More time, less time. More energy, less energy. We're always changing, and because we're always changing, our gifts too, some of those gifts will change, and there are different seasons to life. And that's why we have to come back to this periodically and say, God, what have you given me today? What do I have today that I can use to serve the needs of others? You know, Shelly Erickson was telling me this week, take a break starting up again, and, and uh, she loves it, but then she knows it's like, She's going to be asked to go be a, provide child care for take a break. Oh. Getting together, being with those rambunctious kids, snotty noses. It takes time, you know, a bit of time, and it takes some energy. And she was just kind of recounting that to me. But she says, you know what? You know what I've learned? She says, like, I have the time. And I have the energy. And, and, you know, actually, when I go and do it, and, and, and then I, as, I, as I get to know those kids, and then on Sunday morning, they come in and they say, hey, Shelly, and I'm building a relationship with them, and, I, and I'm being able to influence them. And then I sit there, and I know that those moms are out there right now, and they're getting a break, and they're building a relationship with one another. And, they're, and they're, maybe they're deepening their relationship with God. She realizes, I'm meeting a need. I'm making a difference. I'm giving something that I have to give. You know, because sometimes you'll hear people say, I've put in my time. You've heard that? I've put in my time. And, 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 that, and that's good. The ways that we serve change as we change, but you never retire from service. You never retire from being a part of the body that just doesn't do anything anymore. You're just kind of that dangly thing in there that's done. We never retire from service. We never stop being a part. And we're not called to serve with what we don't have. And that's why it's okay to say no. God doesn't call us to give what we don't have. But he calls us to give, to use what he, we do have, what he has given, that we can use to serve others. And so it's okay to say no only as far as we say yes to God to use the things he has given to us. So we're called to serve with what we have, not 
uh, what others don't have or what, what, what we don't have. So don't try to be someone else. Just, just try to be you. God wants you to be you. He made you you. You, you possess what you possess because God has given you the, those things to possess. So we each have a unique uh, part in this one body. And then thirdly, Paul says, we are each an indispensable part of one body. And I didn't make up that word. Really, Rusty, indispensable? You're, you're just kind of, you know, you're trying to manipulate with emotions. You're really important. Am I really? Okay, well, I didn't come up with that word. So, 1 Corinthians chapter 12, verse 21. As it is, there are many parts, but one body. The eye cannot say to the hand, I don't need you. And the head cannot say to the, to the feet, I don't need you. But on the contrary, those parts of the body that seem weaker are, say it with me. Okay, you need to wake up now. Okay? Those parts of the body that seem to be weaker are? Indispensable. You know what that means? Indispensable? It means not dispensable. That's what the dictionary said. It means that every part is important. You know, we have a tendency to rank things by importance. But what Paul is saying is you can't do that with the body because each part, when it plays its part, it makes the whole stronger. It makes the whole better than if that part wasn't playing its part. And maybe a little bit better, or maybe a lot better. It doesn't really matter. It makes it better. That's what matters. And so Paul says in Romans, going back to Romans chapter 12, at the beginning, verse 3, he says, For the grace given me, I say to every one of you, do not think of yourselves more highly than you ought, but rather think of yourselves with sober judgment. In other words, don't be drunk in the way you think about yourself. When you're drunk, your mind is distorted. It doesn't cohere to reality. Don't have a fantasy way of thinking about yourself. Think about yourself with reality, sober. He says, don't think of yourself too highly than you ought. Don't have an inflated sense of self, which is, I don't need you. I don't need anybody else. But also, don't have a deflated sense of yourself. I don't have anything that anybody else needs. I don't have anything to give, to offer. Think of yourself with reality in alignment with your faith. The faith in God that tells us in his word, he has made you a part of one body. And when we play that part, I mean, who knows what can happen? This is our problem. We prejudge what God can do with what we give. Right? Don't we do that? You never know what God can do when you put something in his hands. You never know. You never know, like, when, when, you, when you offer child care, why do I keep coming back to child care? It's because we need, child, we need help. If you, if you want to help, if you've got time and energy, Tuesday mornings, take a break. Please. Um, that's a great way to serve if you have the time, if you possess the time and you possess a little bit of energy. That's a great way to serve. What difference could you make when those ladies come together and they build a relationship and talk about God? Who knows? Who knows what could come out of that? Marriage course starts here in two Sunday evenings. That's great. A lot of you, a lot of, especially a lot of young, young couples are signed up, but they have little kids, and they're like, we've, we've heard from a few of them. We want to come, but 
we have these kids and grandparents aren't close and we're not sure we can come because of lack of childcare. And we'll, say, well, well, we'll try to help you find childcare so that you can come because who knows what might happen when a husband and wife sense the need to, to, to like invest in their marriage, when they come together and when they grow, who knows what comes of that and the generational impact that that can have. When a marriage is healed, when a marriage is restored, when a marriage becomes better, who knows of the impact of that? You never know what God can do when you place what you possess in his hands and just use it to serve. You know, there was... um... Oh, yeah, okay. My second passion, do you know what it is? Have I talked about coins? Okay. Too much? Too much? A little much? Did you know that yesterday and today is the Manitoba Coin Show at Senova Center there in East St. Paul? So, West St. Paul. West St. Paul, open till 4 o'clock. You might find me there. I don't know. Um, anyway, yeah, I, it's, it's a weird thing during COVID. I kind of took an interest in coins. I did it as a kid. It's part of the Medicine at Coin and Stamp Club, and I've just kind of come back to it. Um, anyway, but as I was preparing my message this week, I, I thought of this coin. I pulled this out of my collection. This is a 1944 Canadian nickel, right? Maybe you've seen this if you're an old person. It's a nickel. They took off the beaver in World War II and they put a V for victory for the war effort. And, you know, Roman numeral five, it's a nickel, five cents. It's a pretty cool coin. Um, you know, for the war effort, they. Uh, they needed the nickel, so they stopped making the nickel out of nickel over those years. It's chrome-plated steel. That's why it has a bit of a different shine. But there's something on there I actually didn't even know was on there. And even as I look at it, it's kind of worn, and I can kind of see it, but I, I wouldn't have known it was there unless I read about it. You can kind of see it on the screen there. On the inside of that rim, do you notice like a series of dashes and dots? That's Morse code. So they put on the Canadian nickel during World War II, um, when, when the nation was kind of at an at existential threat, they put Morse code on the nickels, and that means when we work willingly, we win. That's in Morse code, that's those words. When we work willingly, we win. In other words, when we all do our part together with heart, we win. You know, I've been following this whole Russia-Ukraine thing a little bit. Maybe you have too. I've been watching some videos. And everyone's flabbergasted. Why is Ukraine, why did they not fold right away? Like, how are they going toe-to-toe with this much bigger nation, much bigger military equipment, all of that? Um, They've kind of surprised everyone. But as I've been watching videos and reading, they say it's really for two reasons that Ukraine has done so well. And maybe they'll even win this thing. Okay. The first reason is logistics. They said most people, they think a war is all about the soldiers at the front line in the trenches. You know, whoever's the most soldiers with the most weapons, they're going to win. And they say, you know what? War is not won on the front line. War is won in the supply lines. It's not sexy. It doesn't make for good movies. Everyone wants to see the battle. But they said wars are not won and lost on the front line. They're won and lost in the supply lines. All the people behind the scenes making sure the little things need to happen so that the war can be fought. Which is why those tanks, when they were rolling towards Kiev, remember what happened? They ran out of gas. And then they realized, oops, we don't know how to get gas to our tanks. 
So these multi-million dollar tanks, sophisticated tanks, stayed and they were all abandoned. Why? They had the weapons, they didn't have the supply lines. All the people and all the forces making sure there's the fuel and there's enough food being harvested over there and shipped. And all that stuff behind the scenes that no one ever sees, that's what wins a war. Experts in, in warfare tell you. It's the logistics. I thought that's interesting. When we work willingly, we win. Can you imagine during World War II, like all the people, right, in the factories making new things, everybody playing their part. My ancestors, they didn't fight. They were Hildebrands. They're pacifistic Mennonites. They didn't pick up weapons. You won't see the name Hildebrand on too many cenotaphs. Middle of town. But, you know, they served in other ways, right? Like they went and they built roads and they helped build the infrastructure that was needed to support the effort so that there could be victory. Everybody, there's so many different parts to play, right? So it was logistics, but secondly, it was urgency. You know, the Ukraine, the, the Russians, they don't know why they're there. Why am I fighting this war? Yeah, I've got better weapons. Why am I doing this? But the Ukrainians, they know why they're fighting. They're fighting with urgency. This is an existential battle. This is do or die. They don't need extra motivation. They know how important the stakes are in the battle. And that makes a huge difference when you fight, when you serve with your whole heart. When we work willingly, we win. So this is what I want to tell you. The value of service is determined by the value of the cause it serves. The value of service is determined by the value of the cause that it serves. And, and I would just suggest to you, church, there is no greater cause that you can serve than to build up the church and to advance God's kingdom in the world. There is no greater cause than you can serve than, than, than to build people up in Jesus Christ the savior of their souls. There's no greater cause. And you know what? They'll never, they'll never put up a statue for you. They'll never put up a statue for making a phone call to encourage people that you knew were down, to inviting them into your circle of friends, right? People that are lonely, to, to, to serve a take a break, to go up there and serve at the top because we need technical support up there. And so this is a little plug. You know, if, if, if you have an interest in technology, you can use that, the logistics, to serve God and be a part of the biggest cause in the universe. I talked to Daniel about that. He needs more people up there. If you have interest in technology and that kind of that's your thing, right? There's all sorts of different ways to serve. We're short of people in, to invest in the kids, in the kids' ministry, and in the youth ministry, looking for more helpers and teachers. There's no greater cause than that. And like I, like I said, they'll never build a, build a statue of you like they did Dale Howarchuk. You, you saw that? Anyone actually seen the statue? It was unveiled yesterday. Right? Greatest Winnipeg Jet ever. It's down by the, the arena. Dale Howarchuk. And he did some pretty cool... Like, he was a great Winnipeg Jet, I'm told. I wasn't a Jets fan at that point. Um, but he played hockey, and he played hockey really good. 
And so then they built a statue of him. That's great. No one's ever going to build a statue of you, probably. But I want to suggest to you that you, using the things that you possess, whatever big or little they might be, in the service of God to build up the church, has far more impact than almost anybody that they build a statue of. If you think of time and history and eternity, the value of service is determined not by the service, not by the nature of the service itself, but it's determined by the cause that it serves. And this is why Paul says in Romans chapter 12, listen, you all have different gifts. If it's to encourage, then give encouragement. If, it's, if it is giving, then give generously. If it is to lead, then do it diligently. If it's to uh, show mercy, then do it cheerfully. In other words, don't just do it, but do it with all of your heart. Knowing that whatever you do, whether you think it's big or little, you're doing it in the service of God, and when you do it for His sake, there is no end of impact that He can bring about from that. Whatever you do, do it with your whole heart as if you were doing it for the Lord himself. So each of you, I mean, you are a part. You are a unique part and you are an indispensable part. That's true. We are called to serve together. That is the church. One body, many parts, working together to build it up so that there was no need amongst them. And why? Not guilt. You know, this isn't one of those sermons where it's like, do better. Heap on guilt. Twist your arm. Fine, pastor, I'll do it. Fine, you've asked me 18 times. Fine, I'll do it. It's... You know, service isn't supposed to be powered by guilt. It's powered by God's grace. Isn't that what it said back in, in Acts 4? God was so powerfully at work in them. What do you think that meant? That God's grace was so powerfully at work in them that there was no needy person. What do you think that means? I think it means that they, their hearts were so captivated by the gospel of Jesus Christ, by this great truth that was life-changing to them, that God loved them so much that God served them in their time of need. Jesus came and he laid down his life for, the, for them and for us so that we might be saved so that we might have eternal life, that we might need a, lead a significant life, that we might know that we are loved, that we have dignity. And their hearts were so captured by that reality that the outflow of that was, as God had loved them, they now loved one another. As God had served them, they now gave what they had for one another. And it was powerful. So powerful that there was no needy person among them. May that be true for New Life Church. I mean, that's my prayer for us, that God's grace may so, be so powerfully at work in us that, that someone on the outside could look in and go, those people are different. There's no needy person there. They have what they need in body, 
mind, spirit, and relationship to thrive. So how can you play your part? You're a part, you're, you're a unique part, and you're an indispensable part, so what's your part? And so maybe you're asking yourself, what's my part? And so this is, this is a, a bit of the work that you need to do with God's help. You need to, you need to think about um, what you have. Maybe you can ask yourself these questions, just a few questions that I would give to you and that might help you. What, what do you have? What do you possess? Skills, businesses, experiences, passions, time, ability, personality. What do you possess? What do others say you possess? What do others say? You're really good at that. But you're real, you really have a passion about that. What do you enjoy? What, when you do about it or you think about it, it kind of brings you life? What do you enjoy? What needs do you see around you? Because often it's when you see a need that's because God is, is maybe showing you an area of giftedness. Right? Pastor, like I think like we're, we're weak in this area. I see this over here and I, I see this gap over here. I think we, we, there's this need maybe God is calling you. Maybe he's showing you that you, you have something that you possess to help meet that need. In other words, what are the things you complain about? <laughs> maybe one question. What needs do you see? And then what, what can you try? You know, I think it's true that we, we sometimes only learn what we possess. We only learn what our gifts are, what our passions might be, what our abilities are, as we actually serve. When we... Instead of figuring it all out and then trying to use it, like, just, just serve. Serve God. Are there needs? Step in. Give it a try. Serve. See what happens. Discover your gifts. Discover what you possess. Just a few questions for you to consider. Service happens at the intersection of your possessions and another person's need. We, as the Church of Jesus, we are called to serve together. They joined together and they held everything in common and there was no needy persons among them. So here's the question just to pray over and to take home with you. What is one way you can serve better? What is something that God has given to you that you possess that you can use in the service of others? Let's go to God right now and just kind of lay that question before him and invite him to speak to us. God, we, we thank you for your grace. Lord, everything that we possess, we possess because you have given it to us. Everything we are comes from you, not from us. We have nothing to boast about. Um, we just thank you, God, that uh, you made each one of us with a unique purpose, we're not just copy-paste in your book. Lord, you care about each one of us individually. You care about our individual needs. And you give us individual gifts and talents and skills and experiences and passions. And you have shaped us, each one of us, the way you want us to be like puzzle pieces so that when we come together, we add all of our different pieces and we make something that shows the gospel, the truth of who you are. 
And so, God, I just pray that you would continue to speak to us, Lord, as we go from here, you know, back to our homes, and maybe as we talk about this with our friends or around the table with our family, God, would you just um, give us the answer to that question? Lord, what would it look like for us to serve together better? Lord, because we love you, and we just believe, God, that there is nothing more important in all this world than your mission. There is nothing more important in all the world than, than your mission to go and to be disciples and to make disciples of all nations. Or just empower us by your grace and your spirit to be about that mission. In Jesus' name we pray and together we say, Amen.